0: In this episode, we speak with Mike Palmer, CEO of Sigma Computing. Sigma is a cloud-native analytics platform that uses a familiar spreadsheet interface to give business users instant access to explore and get insights from their cloud data warehouse. It requires no code or special training to explore billions of rows, augment with new data, or perform what-if analysis on all data in real time. Mike joined Sigma in 2020, and brought with him more than two decades of experience in the technology industry, developing and delivering solutions for the enterprise at startups and Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. R.J. Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I think for many in our audience, they may not be familiar with Sigma computing itself or the space you play in, but you're in a space that investors really like. There's been a lot of capital put into your company and kind of the surrounding ecosystem. So tell us about Sigma computing.
1: Great. Thanks for letting me talk about my favorite topic. I think our categories are significant here because they started with cloud computing and we all know the success story that. AWS was, and Azure and, and others continue to be. And that set a very interesting framework for the rest of the industry. Things like continuously dropping prices in compute and storage created this world where data pools are aggregating and the interest in then leveraging that data has increased along with the size of the data pool. So we've shifted in this world where data was a temporary asset that you used and then you archived to a world where the more data you have, the more nuance in the data, and the more you can find that, you know, proverbial needle in the haystack it makes all the difference on the upside or on the risk management side or in cost or whatever. Snowflake came around and then other cloud data warehouses came around and really helped users take that huge amount of data sitting in the S3s and, you know, and the like, and organize them in the same way from a database point of view that they had done in the data center for years. But that didn't change productivity. It didn't change outcomes for companies. What changes outcomes is when people who make what I refer to as just generically business decisions have access to that data. We at Sigma took the lingua franca of the business user, which is the spreadsheet, and attached it to this massive amount of data and compute and storage power. We enable, whether you are in finance, or you're in marketing, or you work on Wall Street, or you work for a healthcare company like a hospital, or you're in a 50 person startup, we allow you to directly access tens of billions of records live, be able to do granular level analysis, to collaborate with your peers, to be able to build applications, to share your data externally. And that release of the constraints of the volume, the release of the constraints of using live data versus in the past where you've had to use aggregates, where you've had to use extracts, changes the game for people making decisions using data. So that's what Sigma is all about, is enabling that line of business person to take advantage of huge amounts of live data to make better decisions.
0: And so before Sigma came along, the data was available and accessible. It would just take 10 times the amount of time to access yep. the way Sigma can.
1: I think that's a great way to put it. You used to have to go to someone who was a data expert. They would prepare a data set for you. They would you know, extract it. You put it into Excel, for example, on your laptop, or they'd have to prepare a dashboard in a legacy BI product like a Tableau. And both of those not only took time, but they had significant limitations. I can only put a million rows in my Excel application. In the BI world, I can create visualizations, but if I have a question that goes beyond the dashboard, I'm stuck at that point. I have to then rinse and repeat the cycle of asking for new data and getting an update to the dashboard. All of that has gone inside Sigma. We've allowed that person to ad hoc explore data in a pretty free way.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, we like to get into the backgrounds of the folks we interview, and I I noticed something really interesting. Early on in your career, you did Teach for America, which I love whenever I see something kind of unique like that. Can we just go into a little little bit about your background and your journey into tech? Sure. It was a journey.
1: I'm from a place in upstate New York way back when, and I didn't really have that much idea, to be very frank, of what my career was going to be. Went to a university Frankly, after four years, still didn't know what I wanted to be. You know, in my world, there was being a doctor or a lawyer and everything else was kind of a great mass of professions. Knew I didn't want to be either one of those. Extended that by a year, kind of crafted my own thing. So after that fifth year, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be valuable, I guess would be the best way to put this. My mom was a teacher. I'd studied a bit of public policy. And Teach for America wasn't that old at that point, but I really believed in their mission, and I still do. Signed on for the two-year commitment, was moved out to California in the process, spent two intense years teaching kids physics, but from an ESL point of view. So these were kids that were recently sort of emigrated from countries like Vietnam or Mexico. And I tell everybody that I think it's the most intense learning period I've ever had in my career. If you want to learn how to present, try presenting physics to ESL kids in the seventh period of their day on a Thursday. You know, they're tired, they're struggling to understand physics anyway, but it was a really rewarding experience. And I encourage anyone else that contemplates it to give it a shot.
0: And so what happened next? Then you get a job, you're you're like, okay, I'm done with Teach for America.
1: The idea of going back to the beginning every September was something that I think for some people it's amazing because they can get better at it, right? And they can measure themselves every year and they understand like this year was more successful than last year. And then I get another fresh chance at it next September. I don't work well that way myself. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a little too Groundhog Day-ish for me mm-hmm. and looked around and said, well, what's happening? And what was happening at that time was tech kind of joined Anderson Consulting. This was before it was Accenture. Had a great experience there was one of the world's worst coders, as it turns out, but learned enough to be dangerous. And then e-commerce was kind of taking off and I was in San Francisco and uh, the rest is history because the opportunities that were created for us in that kind of that late 1990s timeframe were many.
0: And you worked for a series of very strong tech companies. And then I think prior to Sigma, you were a, a chief product officer. Tell us about the transition into the CEO role. Was it fairly seamless? Were you already kind of doing a lot of this chief executive level work?
1: You know, I think it's Sigma, and I will start with kind of the Sutter Hill altimeter point of view before talking about the CEO role. They are investors who are very, very product focused. And they do their work when it comes to understanding the market potential, you know, markets that can be disrupted, markets that have long-term growth opportunities. The results speak for themselves. You know, if you know Sutter Hill and Mike Spicer, and particularly, and Brad Gersner behind companies like Snowflake, They are transformation agents, really, kind of in the tech industry. And so I was lucky enough to be called by them. They wanted somebody who shared that passion and product, who would focus on product market fit on the end user, you know, and really building something sustainable, figuring that the rest you can figure out. Fixing a bad product or orienting yourself to a bad market is not fixable. So... Came on board really with the goal of helping Sigma alongside uh, Rob Willen and Jason Brant, who are the two co founders, are amazing people, both product people and engineers and just leaders, figure out how to take a great idea and turn it into something that we felt like tens, if not hundreds of millions of people would buy. So it was really that orientation toward product, toward user experience that brought me to the company. Obviously, the rest is not quite history yet, but going quite well.
0: has this pace of scaling. Has it met your expectations? We've tripled
1: the company every year since I've been here. It's a team effort. We have a great product. We are very much in a market that is in need of change, as I mentioned earlier. We as an industry have spent 15 or 20 years investing in technology infrastructure. But the productivity rates in countries like the U.S. have not really changed much. And it's time that we pull it through. We can't continue to invest simply in technologies to make technologists more efficient right? We have to invest in technologies that make marketing or healthcare or financial services or retailing fundamentally more productive than they are today. And that's the mission that we are on. I feel like we are demonstrating that we can have that kind of impact at companies that are in the fortune 10, all the way down to companies that are starting up and sell them the same product with the same type of idea and the same service. And that's pretty remarkable, but something that, you know, we're very much on kind of like the, uh, the roller coaster ride of delivering.
0: Mm-hmm. So what's been the most challenging aspect? You know, typically it's companies aren't scaling fast enough. It seems like you've got the scale part covered. What are the challenges you're most focused on?
1: I think our biggest challenge that I'm not sure many companies face, but I will describe Sigma, in effect, in the end, is migrating a workload that has been done on laptops since 1985 in the format of Microsoft Excel, or obviously Google Sheets. And there is not a company in the world, there is not a department inside of a company in the world that does not use a spreadsheet. And so obviously, going back to the idea of transformable markets, that's a pretty large town. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is marketing with a very crystal clear message, a value to a single persona or a single vertical or a single department is not really possible for us. We deliver value across all of them. And so scaling marketing and scaling awareness of Sigma and the value we add is difficult. We don't wanna close off the TAM that we have in front of us, but if you're not specific with your value message, then your marketing's inefficient. And, and that's, I think, the biggest challenge that we face as a company. Mm-hmm.
0: And given that you already have that fantastic product market fit, any acquisitions in mind? Is there any other kind of product areas or specific niches you could pursue that would be additive?
1: We don't engage really at all in M&A. Mm-hmm. We are a very high velocity development machine. Mm-hmm. Even our customers tell us that they find it hard to keep up with the features that we're releasing and just being aware themselves of what to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. I think M&A in tech, in particular in software, I should say, is fraught with challenges Integrating a company's mission, vision, and their code you know with the one that you have been on, that's a very hard, if you will, marriage to make work. And when you're on a, a triple the company trajectory, I think there's more risk than there is opportunity in that sort of motion. And then not to say that it will be forever that way, but I think that at this point in our business that we have the ability to kind of scale ourselves.
0: We touched on your investors earlier, Altimeter and uh, Sutter Hill. What else can you tell us about the value? that they bring, particularly now, as you describe those other challenges?
1: So let's start with Sutter Hill. Sutter Hill has broken the mold, if you will, in venture capital. They invest in people. They don't invest in companies. This average Sutter Hill company, I think by the time they reach their various later stage rounds, BC and D rounds, is a little bit older than companies that you would compare them to, largely because they founded those companies with nothing. Right? They founded them with a person or two people no code, but they are agreed on a market they're going to go and disrupt. So they give them the freedom of starting from scratch. And they give them the freedom of funding to the point where they have a great product. Sutter Hill is focused on not prematurely trying to drive revenue and then acquiring a base of customers that, frankly, you could be regretful of because you've had to pivot your product. So time is really the gift that Sutter Hill creates. I think altimeter invests alongside Sutter Hill with the same philosophy. If I were to kind of fast forward to today, Brad Gerstner on our board is obviously a very well-known investor and someone who invests from the largest end of the public markets on down. And as a guide to help us understand not where we've come from on product market fit, but where he's also good, but also, all right, how do we scale this company to start thinking about it as a public company? And how do we build motion around being that company today? so that when the opportunity presents itself, we're not transforming anything, right? We are just simply continuing a discipline that we'd established many years before. And as a guide along those years, you know, I think he is unique.
0: Mm-hmm. A couple of questions I always like to ask during these interviews is one, can you tell us about someone who has had a profound influence on you?
1: The irony is that I pride myself when what I just referred to as a lifelong learner. I try to learn something from people who I would not resemble as much as I do from people that I try to resemble. And that makes it a little bit terrifying to name names. So I avoid doing that. But I will tell you, and I will stick to Sigma, and this sounds terribly flattering to Mike and to Brad, but to be honest with you, like there are no better people to help guide you when everything is uncertain than those two in business. You know, having said that, I will also tell you the people that have probably influenced me the most and changed me the most. One of them is sitting here is my daughter, <laughs> who is learning from this podcast as we speak, I hope, because if you want to change your life, yeah, children do that for you uh, and you'll never be the same and you'll be positively rewarded for that over the long term, but from a whole different way than a Mike Spicer or a, and a Brad Gersner will influence me. So it's a, it's a really tough question you ask to narrow down to one person. Last
0: question. Can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about?
1: Well, we've covered one already. You know, I think that coming back to the idea of Teach for America, that education is the solution for us as a society. And I mean a global society, certainly is an American society. You see the struggles as a Teach for America teacher with kids coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, obviously coming from different social backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, language and linguistic backgrounds, but We're hiring people every day. We need people who are ready, not just to have a great work ethic, but have the best skills that they can bring, have the best learning mentality, because it's not just whether you're good at something, it's whether you can evolve over time. All of that groundwork is laid in our schools. Education has become a primary topic. You cannot read the paper today without looking at the impacts of affirmative action or removing affirmative action or legacy policies in universities, or how public schools are funded, or whether we should have publicly funded charter schools. These are all great debates, right? Because at least we're talking about how to improve the quality of education, how to help kids in society. And I hope people realize that when we have that conversation, we're really talking about how we help companies, how we help move the economic ball forward for our country. So for me, that topic is, frankly, the most important topic.
0: Excellent. That's a good note to end on. Mike, I want to thank you again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.